This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here. Oh my God, I can't believe this, this convo. Christina Wilson, who works as a vice president of Gordon Ramsay's restaurants. I think that's her title. Christina, if I fucked up your title, I'm so sorry. But um, honestly, super awesome person who I met at a filming um, of Hell's Kitchen and immediately was like, I need to know everything about you. And I love this chat. Um, and hey... Do you want to come see me do stand-up? You got two options for this entire summer. You can see me May 6th in Los Angeles as part of the Netflix is a Joke Comedy Festival. You can see me May 28th in Vancouver, British Columbia, as part of the Just for Laughs Vancouver Comedy Festival. And then, like, other than that, I don't know. Look at your TV. I'm on Hulu right now. Well, I mean, I'm on A Million Little Things, which airs on ABC on Wednesdays, but it also is available next day on Hulu, or you know what? I'm also um, in the movie Moonshot that's available right now on HBO. So, I don't know, watch that stuff, and enjoy this episode. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling, I know, I know, I know it's careless. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. This is, uh, this is incredible. I've been yeah. listening to this podcast since, like, I don't know, probably 2017, late 2017. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, We're so, going to yeah, have such a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, will you introduce yourself? I always have guests yes, introduce themselves. Yeah. Um, hi. Again, thank you for having me. Um, I'm Christina Wilson. I'm the vice president of culinary for Gordon Ramsay uh, North America. I've been a, a chef for, uh, by trade for uh, most, of my, most of my adult life, but been with Gordon for the last 10 years um, and had the pleasure of meeting you on set uh, of, uh, a Hell's Kitchen filming, which, um, as we talked about, uh, that night isn't my, uh, day job, but we do that every two years. So, uh, yeah, look after Gordon's U.S. portfolio. Yeah, that was so interesting to me. So <laughs> first of all, I mean, I've definitely watched Hell's Kitchen, um, before being invited to be there. And, um, I think what I didn't realize, <laughs> it's like, I don't know, it, I think television, I think having, you know, I grew up like no exposure to the entertainment industry in terms of like stuff that's on TV is just like so distant from mm-hmm. from life. Like I, it just was it exists within the TV and not those are not real people. Right. And then to sort of um, get more familiar with it over time and have this be a big part of my career, I, I think I didn't realize the food was real. <laughs> like, I don't know what I thought people were eating, but. Um, yeah, I didn't know the food was like, yeah, was, you guys were front, uh, you and your partner were front and center. So you, yeah, we you were right, saw, we were yeah, right up close. Right so there. we did see that it was being cooked. We also ate it yes. into our bodies. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess my first question is that initial jump from you saying, you know, you've been a chef your adult life. And then now this is a huge part of your life. And, and even though you're mostly running restaurants still mm-hmm. now it's like there's the there's the tv side of that too how how weird is that for you how unpredicted is that for you yeah it's it's um super interesting um 
that uh, my my first time on Hell's Kitchen, I was there as a contestant. Uh, probably not unlike I know you did an interview with uh, Melissa King, who who won Top Chef ages ago, and I yeah. think she had. Uh, I listened to that one and similar experience. Um, I was first on Hell's Kitchen as a contestant, so I was on the other side of the lens and taking it in in a, in a very different way. Uh, when I when I won my season, I got a job at Steak uh, Gordon Ramsay Steak. Sorry, it was his his flagship and his first uh, restaurant in Las Vegas. Um, so I went from this kind of on-camera job interview, uh, and full disclosure, I had never watched the show before I went in. So I had no idea. I had, I had no clue what I had signed up for, uh, which is probably what let me be a little more organic and a little more myself. Wait, I want to pause you on that then. How did you, so no, not knowing what you signed up for, how did that happen? How did you get into that situation? On the show? Yeah, yeah. this is... <laughs> I, I sometimes contemplate writing like a, a children's fable about this, and I, I have on heart. I'm not. I'm not lying at all. It's it's a very serendipitous uh, story, and I'll give you give you the short version. Um, I had gone to university to be a teacher, and um, I I went to uni on uh, a basketball scholarship to start. Uh, kind of uh, lost my mind uh, as an awesome. 18, 19 year old with all that uh, freedom. Uh, lost my scholarship uh, pretty abruptly, so I had to pay for school. Uh, and I wanted to pay cash because um, I was seeing a lot of people graduate into so much debt. Uh, and it just scared scared the crap out of me, quite honestly. I hate owing people. Um, so I started working in restaurants. Uh, I would, if I wasn't working out or in school, or I was always, I was always doing one of those three things, either working out at school or at a job. Um, wow. So I was a, I was a bike messenger in between classes and in between on my way to jobs. Um, I was bartending, I was serving, uh, Food. I was working mostly front of the house, and uh, I was starting this is to so interesting. keep going. Keep going. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So as I was working in the front of the house, um, uh, I was realizing that the the back of the house team felt so much more at home to me. Um, so I started hanging around, and I was asking to pick up food running shifts so I could be more in the kitchen. Uh, and I got really lucky. Uh, one Saturday, there was a, a very early party at the country club I was working at. Everybody had been out partying the night before. A bunch of people called off. The chef was freaking out. Uh, and I was like, Marianne, I know the salads. I mean, I, I work here. I, I can do the salads. You want me to, I'll give it my shift. You want me to help? She was like, oh my God, yes. And I immediately fell in love with being in the kitchen. Um, so from there, I started to uh, kind of teeter the ratio of my jobs, uh, mm. going more into more into kitchen. So finish up school, um, substitute teaching at Beige Martin in, uh, in uh, Philadelphia, and um, I liked it. I love kids, kids that aren't mine. Uh, I don't have any uh, by design. Um, uh, but I, it wasn't like, it wasn't, do, it was, I wasn't alive. I was there and I was having a good time and I was engaged and giving my all, but I missed the kitchen so much. I missed the camaraderie. I, I, I just missed the family uh, that you get in the back of the house. Uh, so I made the decision to um, stop uh, pursuing a, a, a a career in education and to um, just go back into the kitchen. So I went from living fairly comfortably to making, I think I was at $8 an hour. And then the other places I was working, I was working for free. Um, the thought of going back to school and paying for more school, it just, I wasn't interested. Um, so I worked, start working, staging uh, in a bunch of restaurants. I ended up landing a gig in West uh, Conshohocken, so, uh, Philadelphia suburb, uh, with these women who, uh, I, I will never be able to thank them enough. Uh, Kim and Marianne, they owned a couple of restaurants there uh, and they let me come in and I um, was kind of moving up the ladder pretty quickly there. 
And one night, <laughs> I'll never forget this. It was a Tuesday night. Uh, we closed the kitchen at 10 o'clock. Uh, the bar stays open until two, uh, depending on the, the customer business. I had sent my team home. I was scr- literally scrubbing down the kitchen. I already had one beer uh, down. I was on my side. I took the train, uh, so I wasn't driving. Uh, so I was having a second beer uh, while cleaning up the kitchen. And the bartender, uh, Ann, came in and said, hey, we just had these two uh, young ladies come in. I know we're closed, but is there anything you can do for them? Uh, we're in the suburbs. I, I know for sure the only thing open is Wawa, McDonald's. There's no other restaurants um, in walking distance. So I was like, Ugh. but I already had two beers in me. I was feeling good. Personalities out a little bit. And I said, yeah, let me go talk to them. Uh, so I went out to the table, chatted with these ladies. They had just come down from New York. They were there to cast a culinary show. Um, and I said, yeah, fine. I'll cook for you. Just nothing what? off the grill. Yeah. Okay. So nothing off the going. grill. Uh, just, you know, from the side of the, the menu, anything you want, I got, you no problem. Uh, so they, they make their choices. I cook it. Uh, Lisa and Debbie Gantz. Uh, so then I go, I drop off the food because there's no servers left. It's just a bartender. Uh, I end up chatting with them for a while. Uh, and it turns out they have a casting agency up in Long Island called Twins Talent uh, Casting. They're two, I mean, two little firecrackers, five foot nothing, identical twins out of Long Island. I mean, everything you you could picture. Um, so they were, you know, kind of, we were getting along and they're like, oh, you should try out for um, Grill It with Bobby Flay. It was at the time there was this, this show and I was like, no, no, no. I honestly, I just did a, a career pivot. So I'm nowhere near that caliber. I would never put myself out there like that. Thank you kindly for asking. And they said, okay, let's keep in touch. Uh, For the next probably six years, every time they came into Philadelphia, they'd reach out. Oh, we're casting this show. Are you interested? Um, They would come and visit me at whatever restaurant I was working. I was really, it's like a really nice, uh, you know, interaction we had that first go around. Fast forward about six years. I'm working at a restaurant called Lolita in Philadelphia, which was one of the top 50 at the time. Uh, I was the chef de cuisine. I had like, I'd come up. I was feeling good. I mean, I was, I was owning uh, owning my role. And they came in and they saw it and they said, you got to be kidding me. You got to be ready by now. It's an open kitchen. So they, they were seeing the whole service. Uh, and they were, they were, um, casting for Hell's Kitchen season nine and 10. Uh, they came in on a Saturday night. They were casting Saturday and Sunday. Uh, it was November. Um, and they're like, you got to come. We're casting tomorrow from, I think it was like 10 to six or 10 to eight. I can't remember at a hotel at the street. And uh, I was off on Sundays. I was off Sunday, Monday. And I said, uh, I'm a New York Giants fan, love football, love the Giants. I said, the Giants play tomorrow. Uh, I think Washington had to lose for the Giants to make the playoffs. There was something. And I told him, if my team wins, I'll come because I'll be a little buzzed. I'll be in a great mood. If my team loses, I'm going to just drink with my boys and have a Sunday fun day with them. Uh, and I'll catch you next time. Uh, and the Giants won. Uh, and I showed up for the last a uh, couple hours of the audition period, and there was uh, two slots left and about 800 people. And again, mind you, I had a few drinks in me. So I was like, can you just get Lisa and Debbie out here? I just want to let them know I'm here. And uh, they kind of expedite. They couldn't believe I showed up, expedited me in the line. Um, and I, I passed that first audition process. And then I think I had three more interviews in New York and then two out in LA. Um, and I ended up making the cast for season 10. But honestly, it all goes back to that like random Tuesday night that they crossed the street and needed some food. And I was like, yeah, no problem. I got you. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. 
but do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! I feel like we have to double back. I have so many follow-up questions, <laughs> individual follow-up questions, starting with even just like being a student athlete. And um, I know you said that you like, I know you just you just described it as having too much freedom. Mm-hmm. But then the other side of that, and I don't know what your experience was, but um, I just, my, my, my boyfriend, when I was uh, early days in college, was a student athlete. And... I just know from, you know, and then I had some other friends, but like really just through the lens of how close I was to him, it's like wild to, you know, work a full-time job for the university while Mm -hmm. also being at the university. So I don't know what. Yeah. That bit of it was super strict. Um, That, that, the freedom um, that I got drunk on um, was leaving a small town. My parents were pretty strict um, and I was like wildly gay and up until that point, <laughs> I had been, um, I, I've always played sports and I've always played like up in age. So my junior and senior year, uh, I was sneaking out in the middle of the night and going to college parties. Um, so nobody in my high school like knew it was, I was already, I'd already basically checked out of high school. Um, so yes, to to probably similar to the experience that, um, that your previous boyfriend had, like when I went as a student athlete to Westchester, uh, we could only have classes. We got priority scheduling, which was awesome. Uh, we could only take classes from eight to two because we worked out uh, five a.m. to seven a.m. and then we had workouts uh, like three o'clock onwards. Uh, we always had team dinner. If you didn't have um, a three, I think it was a three point two or above, you had to go to uh, study hall uh, every night. Freshman, which I was, we had mandatory study hall. We had team dinners. I mean, that part of it was super regimented and and. Thankfully, I had this like built-in family as soon as I got on campus uh, where I got a little uh, drunk with freedom was I don't need to sneak out anymore to go meet my girlfriend. I don't need to, I don't need to mm-hmm. drive 30 minutes up to East Stroudsburg University just so I don't have to deal with the questions or, you know, the mentality of a small town. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I, yeah, I just. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense yeah. to me. I mean, I think any college, I, I, that's exactly what I meant is that I do it's my perception just from the outside that there's sort of an inherent contradiction in terms of how, what we tell people college is going to be like, mm-hmm. and then the student athlete experience, like they're just, yeah. they're just two different things where, you know, we're really pushing like, you know, it's like you graduate from high school, somebody gives you, oh, the places you'll go. And it's like mm-hmm. experiment <laughs> and find yourself and all these things. But the student athlete experience is so different than that. Yeah. And it's just something that I don't like hear talked about a lot, especially because, you know, we center like, football and the sort of glory of that over right. the like grind of any other sport. And and also, by the way, football is a huge grind too, but I just mean, yes. Yeah. yeah. Nobody's talking about like women's basketball and like right. what that experience is like for, for those. Players. I love all the conversations that are happening now. It's, um, it's, it's how I know I've turned the corner outside of like wearing chinos on the regular. It's how I know I've turned the corner into like true adulthood. Uh, <laughs> that I'm like, oh, I remember in my day. Um, but the way that the conversations that are happening around women's sports now and, um, 
I, I'll, I'll 100% blame COVID for uh, the uh, embarrassingly deep TikTok hole I fell down uh, April <laughs> 2020. I wouldn't have otherwise. I didn't even have it on my. Uh, I didn't even have it on my phone until then. Um, but I started, you know, my for you pages. Uh, it's actually a very interesting mix. Uh, horse rescue is one I wasn't expecting to really, really fall into. But are, you, are they doing hoof cleaning or what is that? Not yet. Well, uh, yeah. I don't know why. There is hoof, I don't know why. Hoof well, I don't know why a, a farrier, I believe, is what they're called. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really fell in deep. There's this lesbian couple um, that have a, a rescue. I think they're based in Virginia. Colby's, oh. uh, Colby's. I, I'll go. Don't let me go down this hole. We'll, we'll, All right, we'll, we'll talk. I mean, we'll talk about horses the whole time. In any case, it's great to see. Um, I mean, we've always had, you know, the Abbeys and the Megan Rapinos. And, and I, I think women's soccer really captivated um, the U.S. Um, and but when I look at people like Sedona, um out of Oregon and I, I, there's just you don't have there, to tell so me many... tall one short one I got it yes. I'm on it <laughs> I'm on it, it. We're you the got same. it. For, throw we, a well we in the there and you're, yeah. yeah we're good <laughs> um but just the, the what I love so much about this generation some of it drives me nuts um versus the way uh, I came up but they're it's just the way they think and mm-hmm. man these kids they action they absolutely have this call to action it's not just mm. oh this isn't right uh, I thought fo- I started following Sedona when she was doing these hot it, and it came up because of food when she was doing the highlights of the food they were served and the equipment uh, they were using during March Madness. Uh, I think it was of 2020 versus what the guys got and like totally would rate the food. And I was I mean, I lived for I, I was so into it. But the again, it's just that um, it's just that action. They don't just talk about it. They actually go and do something about it. And I, I, I just find it remarkable. And I'm, I'm fascinated. And I, I've got so much hope for the future because of these, because of these kids in this next generation. But totally. Thanks. Thanks, phones with cameras in them, you know, as a yeah. As <laughs> yeah. For, yeah. one of the million ways, but that that has changed um, just the kind of information that we have. But okay, let's go back to let's go back to this. Um, when you were telling this story about getting cast the eight the 800 people is that a is that a line like is that an open casting call where it is like a you're getting up at five o'clock in the morning or like the night before and like camping out and I mean is it what I'm is it what I'm imagining <laughs> but then also some cherry-picked people that that they are inviting but then yeah. mixed in with that yes I, I think there are quite a few um casting agencies that can uh that basically help for in this case, Fox um, or ITV or whoever, whoever it is, uh, I think they kind of help like fast track some people. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Pre-screen. Uh, so yes. I think there is a, quite a bit of that. But um, yeah, it wasn't like a line out the door, like the way you used to have to get concert tickets where you show up at 10 a.m. at the bookstore. Mm-hmm. And there's only 40. I miss those days. So hard tickets and fighting for your space in line. In any case, you're usually in some kind of hotel banquet room with a bunch of seats and you go in, you feel something yeah, out, I've you seen get a number. American and, Idol. Yeah. 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 Is, exactly. yeah. 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 And also this is how <laughs> Last Comic Standing works too, which I don't even, I don't think that's a show right now, but it used to be a show where it's it used like to be, yeah. half the people are in, not half the people, the people that get on the show, most of them are invited, but then they yeah. also film the like open call because some of those people will get through. Um, okay. Super interesting. So then you get on the show. What on-camera experience had you had? Zero. None. How? I had like one interview in a newspaper, like a suburban <laughs> newspaper. Like, so <laughs> how was that? Tra- Here's something that I thought was cool about how 
kitchen. But I can't even remember what season we're on. This is a lot later. So I don't know if this is what's always been true. But um, the cam- the cameras, I thought the cameras were very cool because there are like camera people walking around or like um, on carts moving around that are actually, it's a, an actual camera operator, a person holding mm-hmm. a physical camera on their shoulder like we would all think of. But then also in the actual kitchen, there's a lot of just like mounted cameras, which exactly, I, yeah. when I was there, Those I was like purpose. immediately like, oh, where are, like, how are they getting the footage? Which makes a lot of sense to me because just it feels like a safety issue and it feels like y'all need that yeah. space to be able to move around. Um, but is that how it was when you joined up this sort of like cameras pitched from the ceiling? Yeah, exactly that. And um, I, I can't. Uh, I can't speak to how it was uh, in early day seasons, like one through five, but um, I know for Gordon, one, it's a safety issue. And two, um, it's important to him that, especially during dinner service, he doesn't care what happens in the dorms. He doesn't know about it. None of us, we can find out if we want to read the hot sheet or whatever, um, but none of us care. We just want to know how you perform in the kitchen. Uh, but one of his big things too was um, when there's a handheld you're you're triggered to remember you're on a TV show. A hundred percent. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So Keep going. It, for him, and, and it, it's been amazing. I mean, like I said, I've been with Gordon for 10 years. Uh, he was well into the you know TV and all that when I first joined, but now he has his own production company and he has for a couple of years and uh, he's he's gone more into that executive producer role. The way he sees things, it's not, it's, it's evolved from where he started. And that's a big thing for him. He, he wants to get the real out of people um, again, in the in the dorms or anywhere else, he, he's not too fussed. Um, he, but he doesn't want to remind people you're on a show. He wants to see, you know, a, a realistic um, kind of job preview. And to your point with the cameras, um, in the kitchens, uh, for people at home, if anybody watches it, there's mirrors in all the kitchens, uh, but they're just our blinds. They're one-way mirrors. Uh, so anywhere you see a mirror in the kitchen or in the dorms, there are cameras on tripods back there that are zooming in and catching absolutely everything. Oh my God. I didn't even yeah. catch that. I thought I, I know. Really caught a lot, but I did not um, catch that. And I wish, I mean, we were under, we were in like this kind of loose bubble situation and um, had, had it not been the, the kind of uh, hopefully tail end of, of COVID times, we would have brought you back and, and given you a tour and let you, let you sit oh in the my blinds God, to cool. actually watch it. Well, next, next time, time. two years. Yeah, yeah. honestly, it's, it's the That's coolest place. Awesome. There, the MCR are like the best places to actually watch because you can see everything. Um, but yeah, he he they work really hard to to try and get the cameras because once you're in service, you're just you know you're you're in the thick of it. And um, yeah, if you had handhelds there, you'll you would remember all the time that oh no wait, uh, people see me or you know you end up acting uh, out of character. So, but yeah, good observation. You're right. The cameras are they're like hidden in the. Um, in the centerpiece, there's like audio in the centerpieces and then like just loads of robos everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, it is really, that was really interesting to me because again, I mean, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> the, the restaurant, the restaurant in quotes yeah. is, is like at a, an Ikea. Like I, okay. Yes. So I'm just yeah, a yeah, curious person. I'm a very <laughs> curious person. So this is the stuff that I notice and care about. It's at yeah. an Ikea, a former Ikea warehouse, right? So just like anything, it's like, so in the, you know, there's a facade, there's a, it, but there's a front that looks like a restaurant um, mm-hmm. and is the front of the restaurant. But then it's also behind that is like a larger building. And then in there, there's, you know, holding area. And then there's also built inside of that, a restaurant that's a set. And, and it's, I just thought that it was very cool the way that it both is a set and a restaurant because yeah. 
Yeah. And they live there too. There's dorms on the other side. So this is the follow-up question that I had. You kept saying <laughs> dorms. What do you mean dorms? Yeah, they live dorms? on they live on set. Um oh. My yeah, God. funny enough. First, first, I want to go back. That holding area that you guys had this or we had this year was terrifying. It I gotta like say, were, it looked like you were gonna go meet your like they, boyfriend. They uncle, or, nailed it. Was it. Terrifying. I, think, I don't know. I don't know. For some <laughs> reason, chain I link loved fence it. For me. I love it so much. Yeah. For some <laughs> reason, there's an interior chain link fence inside of an abandoned IKEA building that it just felt. It definitely is post-apocalyptic. For sure, something yes. else should just be filmed in there. Yeah, um, that's what, yeah. yeah. Hundred percent. The culinary producers about that. I was like, "There's a show inside here." This is like, every time we went there. We're like, "This totally. feels like you're waiting to, you know, yeah. say hi to your friend in jail." You're just like, in absolutely. The, in the pen before you go through the metal detectors. hundred percent. And then I was in like a little special, like, yes. There's curtains around it to make it yeah, feel exactly, yeah, to make it feel like, oh, Soften this is it. a fancy place. But some they had people a little literally snacks, just like goldfish yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, nothing. We're literally just encased yes. in. I trust me. I know. <laughs> when I first, because I, I have no business there, like, I, and it's on the other side. I mean, you know how an IKEA is that they want you to get lost in there. So yeah. I probably didn't see that area until like week two of the first season that we filmed this, this past year. And I, when I went there, I had this like the, uh, moment and I said, is this what we're doing to people? This feels, this does not feel right. So anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to circle back to that, but I no, felt like it needed, I, this is we great. needed a minute I, to talk about it. Um, but yes, the dorms. Um, and and uh, funny enough that uh, Top Chef is also filmed in that Ikea on that set. Uh, I didn't oh my know that. God, but I got some history hilarious. of the building while I was there. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, but with the dorms, I think that's, uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that differentiate uh, uh, very respectable, like top tier uh, culinary competitive show like Top Chef and and kind of what we do on Hell's Kitchen. Um, but one of the biggest things they do is try to uh, pressurize uh, each individual. So for that, yeah, they all live together, like five people to a bedroom, twin beds, three toilets, two shower. I mean, we start with 18 people, nine, nine women, nine men. What the fuck? And they all live. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's what the wild. Fuck? I don't know who okay. ate this. Like, okay, we process? number one. <laughs> I could talk to you. I could talk to you about this forever, and maybe we will come back to it. But I want to yeah. ask you some other questions. I want to. I want to jump into another thing that I was curious about when you were talking, which is, and maybe we'll talk about your experience on the show in a minute. But I'm very interested in the fact that you went from working in kitchens to on the show to then working for Gordon at actual restaurants and that right. to me is like wh- what like that that just feels wild to yeah to an atypical right nobody nobody else is like he's not like no I, he, this I, is this is you that this happened to yeah or, or the, they, the stars, they achieved this not like yeah this is not what's happening I, for everybody yeah not to um uh take anything away from like the grit and hard work and and what i've done but the, the stars really did align uh, like from that tuesday night that lisa and debbie came in until uh, where it really lined up for me uh, was that I got cast for season 10 and not season nine. Um, so the whole uh, goal or prize of the show really is that you win a job. Like at the end, you win a job, you win a little bit of a cash prize and you get your picture on the wall and that's it. Um, season nine, the winner went to BLT Steak in New York. Um, at that point, <clears throat> excuse me, in 2012, Gordon didn't have any, or we filmed in 2011, Um Gordon didn't have any U.S. restaurants. So as people were winning, they were going to, you know, maybe colleagues or 
uh, Friends of Fox or you know, for whatever reason they went where they went. Uh, where I got very fortunate is that the prize for season 10 was Gordon Ramsay's steak in Las Vegas. Uh, it was his first steakhouse in the U.S., um, first of now 11 restaurants with Caesars Entertainment, uh, first on the Strip. Uh, and it was his flagship. It was one of the most highly anticipated openings of 2012 out in Vegas. Um, so had I been cast for season nine, I would have gone to BLT Steak and could have maybe had a, a bit of a trajectory within that company. Where I got very lucky and fortunate is that I ended up in an actual Gordon Ramsay restaurant, one that was wildly successful out of the gate. He only had the one, so Gordon was very present in the restaurant. He and I got to uh, continue uh, building our relationship um, by the end of that first year, uh, we opened steak in April, the, yeah, 10 years ago this month, uh, April, May of 2012. By December of 2012, Caesars opened two more Gordon restaurants on the Strip. We had Pub at Caesars and Burger at Planet Hollywood. So I came in at like the right time of the bubble. There was just opportunity after opportunity that was available to the people that were working hard, uh, representing the brand, getting their stuff done and, and having dynamic personalities, which occasionally uh, uh, I can express. Uh, so uh, Gordon and I ha- had a great relationship on the show when I was a contestant and then continued that on. I was, I was looking after steak. Um, then I went over to Burger, uh, did a year there. Um, and that's Wait, when, when I you got say a- looking after steak, what does that mean? What was the actual uh, I was the job? Chef they, I was the chef. Like the- um, so I ran the pass. I, you know, which that's the, that's the boss chef. That's the top. I was the number two. I had an exec chef above me. So I reported into him. Okay. Um, but yeah, we did all the menu. So team. it goes executive chef, chef de cuisine. Is there other, and then other executive types sous chef, of- sous chef? Got it. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. It's, it, Thank it you. very much mimics, um, like a military brigade. Got it. Uh, is, is the point of all, uh, yeah. The, how we structure our, uh, what does that person do? The chef de cuisine? What is, what are, and you write, you do the menu changes, uh, you train your team, you run the service, um, keep the margins. What does the executive chef do? Uh, the executive chef does all the approvals for menu changes and such, but those people tend to look more after the business side, um, where you want to make sure that your, your profit margins are right. Your labor margins are right. Everybody's trained properly they all an- answer into a bigger boss. And you have to see the broader picture. How do we stay relevant with trends and, and push and grow your, you always have to have a succession plan. You always want to be training your replacement so that you have room to grow. And so do they. Chef de cuisine is like essentially the person running the kitchens then? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Okay. Yeah. And then the exec chef typically, and it, it's different for every business. I mean, we were a $20 million steakhouse. So this was a structure that worked, uh, worked there and worked, worked for our objectives. Um, so yeah, two years there, went over at Burger. Uh, and when I was at Burger, that was in 2014, um, they started filming, uh, it was season 15 of Hell's Kitchen. The young lady who was in my now position and was this on-screen sous chef where you saw me, uh, read the kind of coaching, the red, red team, um, she was getting married. Uh, so Gordon asked me to step during filming. So we couldn't have the in and out. There needed to be continuity. So Gordon asked me to step in and be the sous chef for season 15. Um, for that, I was with him six days a week, 18 hours a day, six weeks straight. And we just, can t- he got to see how I work. I have now grown by three, four years since, uh, you know, since he first brought me on. Um, and after that, he said, uh, I want you to join the corporate team, um, which I did uh, about six months later. Um, and then I started to help grow that por- portfolio uh, when I came on, we had four restaurants in the U.S. and we have 11 now, or actually 13 now, 14 now. Uh, but uh, I helped grow to the 11 that we have. Um, 
in those first couple of years. So, uh, and with that, it's like kitchen design, menu, de- menu um, development, training, going on property and, and training the head chef that'll run it for the day to day on all the dishes, making sure they understand the standard. Um, yeah, just opening restaurants. Are you creating the individual restaurants that then could be replicated? Like, so, so for instance, <laughs> exactly so for instance, steak, right. Are there now, uh, there are now other steaks? There are. I'm in another, I'm in a steak in Baltimore right now. So this was the first one outside of Las Vegas. We also have one in Atlantic city, uh, in, and in, um, Kansas city. Got it. Um, so yeah. And there's like, there's steak burger. What are the other uh, we have skews um, is the kitchen. word I'm going to use. That's, that's not the right word. <laughs> it's but, close enough. I like it. Though. Yeah. I might start calling it skews. I like that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's essential. I mean, you could break it down to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So steak was our first concept. So there's Gordon Ramsay. It all starts with Gordon Ramsay. So I'll just say the protein part. Uh, there's steak, there's pub and grill. Um, there's fish and chips, which is awesome. A little uh, quick serve chippy. Uh, there's burger. There's Hell's Kitchen, which has been just wildly successful. Uh, we just opened um, a, a new concept up in Boston outside of the Caesars relationship called Ramsey's Kitchen, which is more of a, an accumulation of his experience getting to this point in his career, but a lot, lot of fun with that menu. Um, so yeah, we have uh, six concepts and a seventh that's going to be opening in a few weeks in uh, Cherokee, North Carolina, which is a, a food market that has some little oh, sure. stands in it. Yeah. Yeah, and wow. we've got, I think, three more uh, concepts to develop in our kind of five-year uh, uh, development pipeline. So busy enough. Is it the general, and maybe you can't even say this, but is the general idea like city centers? Is it like airports? Like where where, where are, because there's, you know, you're just in such an un- unusual position. I don't have to tell you this, but this is mm-hmm. how I'm thinking about it. Um, because it's a different kind of a thing. It's It's a name recognition brand thing. I mean, Yes, it's also a food thing, but it's a celebrity brand, a chef celebrity brand. I mean, I'm I'm thinking about like in our childhood getting a Hard Rock Cafe t-shirt. Oh and, my like, god, how I still important collect them. that was. Oh my I god, still, you do? I Those do. I collect them so for my nieces. Cool. Everywhere like, I go, there's nothing I was cooler. And it was it was almost like a socioeconomic like flex. To have like a oh my god, it totally was Eddie. a flex, especially yeah. if it's like Tokyo or something. Right, you're just like yeah, it's like how'd you get mine's that? from Oak yeah. Brook, Illinois, where right. <laughs> where the mall was down the street. Um, but no, uh, yeah. yeah, I started yeah. collecting them again in uh, 2018, and I I have this. Uh, I have three. Oh my god, I need to get one. And I I started making this like vintage T-shirt collection for my middle niece is like my mini me, uh, and I know she'll be into it. Um, She's she she's ten. Uh, I went to a Billie Eilish concert uh, the other day, and I said, "Hey, do you want me to get you a shirt? What size?" And she goes, "Well, I like to wear oversized t-shirts now." So uh, of small. course, I'm like melting. Um, so you I have can't this wear little, a like, tight Billie Eilish t-shirt. Come on, <laughs> yeah, that goes. Gotta, that's I know it's all contradiction brand, yeah. in terms. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have this whole thing working. And back in 2018, uh, they opened a hard rock in Atlantic city. And we were down there for a project. And I said, I'm going to start collecting these again. So sometimes I wear them. Sometimes I don't, but I have one from London, Dublin. Anytime I'm traveling for work, if there's a hard rock, I'll go get one. So she's, uh, she's going to be cool as hell when she hits college. Uh, Absolutely. Whole whole case of uh, vintage teas working for her. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love that. This 
makes sense to me. I think that there, you know, there's certainly like a, a foodie type of a person who might completely avoid anything with this sort of like mm-hmm. brand recognition. But I think that, you know, especially, I don't know Gordon at all, but mm-hmm. I like love him. <laughs> yeah, that he is seems, remarkable. He seems awesome. Like I'm he's a, a huge he's yeah. fan of his. I think he seems awesome. Um, he's so humble and gracious and ungodly funny and such a family man. I mean, yeah. he's nailed my ass to the wall a few times and it's terrifying and I shower sure. cried and I took a picture <laughs> of my face. Like, honestly, and I was like, don't ever make that mistake again and knock on wood. I haven't. Yeah. But, um, he, he is inc- absolutely incredible. Very appealing. Forward. Very yeah. appealing yeah. person. And I, yeah. I feel like I totally get why somebody would want to have the experience, especially with food, because it is that sort of like 4D experience of mm-hmm. getting a chance to eat what you're watching. Like that's that's yeah. kind of beautiful, right? Um, and so it makes a lot of sense to me um, that this is the goal. But but I think I didn't even let you answer the question of like where you're trying to expand city centers or airports. Or like yeah, things like yeah. City, it feels like it's like centers, yeah. who can you get this in front of the most as opposed to like, you know, something else where it's like, the hardest place to get to in town because it's like the most underground, but this is the opposite of that. This is like, where can we get the most people in the door? Yeah. Um, I, I think we, people, I think people, and they want it because Gordon keeps everything uh, well under wraps. But a, a big thing for him is uh, looking at areas um, that have really talented local chefs, but have nothing else in the area to amplify um, what's happening there. So one of the biggest reasons we ended up in North Car- in Cherokee, North Carolina, is because he did um, an episode of Uncharted in Asheville, which is about an hour. We fly, we fly into Asheville and drive an hour to um, Cherokee. He was in Asheville, and he just thought that the local food scene was incredible. He, there was a, a wow. handful of super talented chefs. A few of um, the restaurants there made Bon Appetit's top 50, um, probably after we signed the contract a couple of years ago. Um, and he just thought, well, if I can get a restaurant close enough, I know that I'll bring national media attention. And then it lets me talk about what's happening in Asheville. And this, like, I'll tear up. Like, people don't realize that, yes, he is this massive, like, household name. But he he was grassroots. I mean, he came up from the bottom up. Like, he's, uh, in the U.S., wow. we have a different perception of Gordon because we know him through TV. Um, but he is arguably the... Uh, most talented and, and decorated chef of our lifetime. He's got three Michelin stars at his flagship in um, Chelsea uh, that he's held for the last 21 years, like the longest running British chef to do it. I mean, he's got so many accolades in the UK and Europe that we don't even recognize because we know him as a TV chef. Um, but the things that he does um, for, for cities, same thing in, in Baltimore. There's a bunch of um, smaller brands that have the potential to be a national brand. Mm. Um, and, and he's very much in the in the mindset that if we can go in there and just bring a little attention to the area, it's going to help these chefs, not just me. I mean, his wow. name will carry what it carries. But uh, and, and even when we bring chefs in uh, to run the restaurants, he he's always trying to amplify uh, or, or highlight their uh, portfolio and and give them a bit of a plot. It's, it's remarkable how, again, how humble and gracious he is. But he doesn't he wouldn't talk about that in an interview at all. Why would he? Because then it's like you're doing this work for what the pat on the back, but it is, uh, it is really, it's important to him. And it's important to him that we get local chefs too. It's like, we got to give these people a chance to either move up in our company or use this as a, as a platform to go on and do bigger and better things. So 
yeah, he's he's fantastic, and I and I hope you do get a chance to uh, spend some time with him at some point. Because oh my god, me too. Yeah, you, you'll you'll lose. It. He's so fantastic. <laughs> I think it's really interesting to me because again, you know, if the job if the prize is like and you get a job, I think that feels nebulous from the outside because because I mean, I guess that's also true on like The Apprentice, but it's like. Mm-hmm. And then what is that job? That, I think that's a fake, I think that was a fake job. <laughs> um, you know, like, I don't think that was a real job. Um, yeah. I think that one would have to have skills to be able to, anyway. Um, but what you're describing, I mean, it's it's reminding me a lot of RuPaul. And not mm. that, not that Ru no, is I, like. I get the parallel, yeah. Yeah, not that Ru is like without, you know, everybody's just a person at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And so has like, there are ups and downs and there, you know, their thing that they're decorated for that doesn't get recognition because now they're this kind of, you know, star. What I, like that makes sense to me. But I think the thing that is just undeniably true, a couple of years ago, I got invited to go to the, um, to DragCon, which is like mm, the RuPaul yeah. branded convention where the folks that are there are drag race performers. And it's like at the huge con- convention center in LA and it was just wild. I mean, the lines to like meet these folks and just thinking about how many different people got that type of a job, that type of a, that type of visibility and ability to tour mm-hmm. and make music, like the, the zillion things that right. each of those individual performers now does because of that touchstone. It, that's just what this is making me think of is a similar yeah. thing where so there actually hold the, is hold an the interesting growth. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And and when the, and then creating structures where people can, I mean, right. again, it's like the other side of that is, I mean, it, it, this is not not as true in what you're talking about, but it's like, but then if you're not on Drag Race, like, good luck to you, you know. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, but it is like the interesting thing of creating the follow up structure where folks can then like actually make a living doing this as opposed to doing it. That that's that's just a, kind of what it sounds like to me. Somebody wanting to mentor the whole way. Yeah, and I think like even. Speaking of Drag Race, which is awesome in RuPaul, but um, having that kind of platform and visibility and and getting people that haven't ever said, oh, yeah, of course, we're going to drag brunch. It's Sunday. Uh, Mm -hmm. People that are are seeing drag for the performances for the very first time on on uh, television. I I think it it promotes that like acceptance and just um, a better understanding. And so I know when I'm um, travel quite a bit for work and sometimes I'm in suburbs and I see. I always look to see where the gay bars and stuff are, if they even have any. Um, and oftentimes you see these little like knockoff, not knockoffs, that's not the Yeah. It's like these little like drag shows that are coming, like, but that that wouldn't have been possible if if there weren't, if there wasn't that visibility to it. And and if RuPaul hadn't just made this incredibly like iconic pop culture, like cult following situation where right. then people felt comfortable saying, oh, you know trying to create these spaces uh, where, where space wasn't before. So, um, and actually yeah. I can tie that back to you and, <laughs> and Hell's Kitchen and, and um, I love this. Let's see it. I think that's something that's really interesting about your show. I mean, or, or about Hell's Kitchen where we met the job that you have other shows on TV is that now, of course, not everybody's, not everybody is a man or a woman, but positioning it so that there are equal contestants that are men mm-hmm. and women, and then putting that on television would seem to me to um, totally fuck up <laughs> in a good way an industry that has previously been um, really focused on accelerating men. So, yes. so suddenly we're now raised in a generation where like that's not the association. You know, we think of 
female judges. We think of, you know, I, I just think about all of the stuff that's on Food Network and then and then all of Gordon's shows. And it's and it's very um mm-hmm. like just introducing faces again and again and again that ch- that changes our mind about this. So even I don't know what is actually happening right now yeah. industry-wide. Um, but I'm curious about like if that has affected your self-esteem, your understanding of yourself, whether or not you thought you could do this. You know, what do you see happening based on that sort of change in visibility or even your own participation? Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, we're, we're definitely seeing it. Uh, Gordon, Gordon's great. I mean, uh, all his shows, every show he does, it's, it's, uh, the leads of the culinary side are all women. Um, he, I, I know, uh, how well he, he likes <laughs> working with us. And, and, uh, I think there's less ego and more, what do we need to get the job done within, um, our company and, and our, his TV culture, which I help one show to every two years. And he's got so many other shows. Um, but the way that, uh, kind of filters then into real life and into the restaurants is, uh, exactly what you say. Uh, if you didn't see people doing it, if you didn't think it was possible, you're not, you're not necessarily, you're not going to be, uh, motivated to, to go for it necessarily. It takes a really special person, uh, to not see anything and just say, I'm going to be that headstrong and that. Determined. <laughs> yeah. But, um, we, uh, yeah, we have, we have great, um, uh, uh growing diversity. I, I don't think that we're anywhere near like a 50, 50 or, um, completely even. Um, but I also think that the culture in kitchens, um, has changed drastically. Uh, I came up and, and Gordon more so than me, uh, came up in a way where, you know, you, you got hot saute pans thrown at you. Like you, there was like, phys- like there were physical consequences sometimes. Absolutely. I've read 48 books. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I mean, and all that stuff is true. I mean, we've, and, and I think you end up with a, with a thick skin to, to a certain degree. And I think it, it breaks pe- some people and shows them out of an industry where they could have potentially been really brilliant. Um, but we, we don't see that type of, um, uh, leadership anymore. And I think it makes it a bit more inviting. And again, I'll, I'll give that, that nod, uh, to the younger generations, like demanding that change. And, and, um, I think because the, the kitchen culture isn't so, um, you know, the girls do pastry and the men do the grill, uh, that, that it continues to be challenged and, and shows like Hell's Kitchen and Top Chef, um, are, are really helping, uh, to, to, yeah, just amplify that, that platform. Um, but we are seeing, I can say the, uh, the good and bad, if I take myself out of my role, uh, in FMB, uh, the good about COVID is that people understand, I think have a better understanding of time and quality of life and what actually matters. Um, the bad side in my role is that we've had a mass exodus in the FMB industry. You don't, you don't see servers wanting to work Christmas Eve anymore for a 12 hour shift to make their 400, 500 bucks. Uh, they'd rather do six hours and have the rest of the day and be happy with the 200. So it, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens when we actually come fully out of COVID and, and how much, uh, has changed. But, uh, I think the visibility to your point and then the, the, just the change in general culture and, and the language we use in the, in the kitchen is, um, letting us get better quality people. Uh, and, uh, that's women in a, in a big regard. I mean, also it's you, you know, like, it's not just women in general. I think I was watching, I'm very observant. So I was watching the way that you were, um, you know, just interacting with the other chefs. And, and obviously, yeah, you know, you're on camera, um, but I feel like I saw like strength and, um, 
awareness and speed and involvement, but but not any of that, like, you know, screaming yeah. and yelling. And I mean, maybe maybe you are constantly screaming and yelling, but I would be real surprised if you were like working so hard to develop this different persona for every two yeah. years. You know, it just, it just feels yeah. like that's probably what's really going on. And and um, anytime we, anytime anybody shows that a job can be done, with like that leadership can exist without that, I think that is that causes a massive ripple effect. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think uh, there have definitely been times that I've, um, you know, raised my voice or, or uh, sure. a bit had had some robust conversations uh, with Ooh, some robust. of the great uh, work <laughs> with some of the cast members. But mostly, I just try to be firm and fair. Um, obviously, I I know what Gordon's standard is, and I, I need to emulate, emulate that uh, throughout the competition. Um, it's I wish that I could I didn't have to be so stone faced because I'm not that way in real life. But I also like, can't let you know who my favorites are when we're in the middle of filming. Totally. I'll tell to, once it airs, we'll do it again, and I'll tell you right away who my favorites were. <laughs> no chance. Um, but it, it, it's hard because you you have to turn off. I have to kind of, like, turn off this, like, valve of humanity um, and just be a little uh, more neutral. Um, when in real life, in my restaurants, um, I mean, one of, one of my, my number two uh, I had her at a culinary school. I've been um, alongside her for eight years. She was one of my first sous chefs. And um, wow. just you got to grow your own chefs these days and you have to invest. And um, I don't always get that opportunity on the show because it is a competition and we need to keep everything fair. Uh, but I certainly do uh, spot the talent and, and we engage those people after the show. But um, yeah, I, I sometimes wish I could be uh, a little more myself and a little less uh, neutral. Uh, be, but right it's a competitive, you know, show with a cash prize. So, well, when we have a whole other time to talk for one hour, I think something that now I'm wondering about is you and I actually have this in common. We both work in fields that are trades, Mm -hmm. um, where most, yes, you can go to, you can go to culinary school. Um, can't really go to like stand-up comedy school, but you could go to acting school. But at the end of the day, a lot of the job is it's more yeah it's like i think of it like blacksmithing or whatever you're like you're just in it and (laughs) that's how you're learning it and yeah i don't i don't know i mean maybe that's what it feels like to be like a cpa i don't know i didn't go through that schooling and i don't have that job but i definitely know that that's what it has felt like for me and um it's something i really love because i'm yes because i am such a like hands-on learner i it's one of the things i appreciate the most about my job is that it's like it's so hard all the time. There's always yeah. something new and, it's and always something yeah. new. And, and same. We do, we do definitely have that in common. It's uh, no day is, is the same and everything is, there's so much human uh, people interaction uh, that it makes what we do every single day subjective to the people around us, the environment, the client, the social mm-hmm. climate. I mean, there's so many factors where being a CPA, like math, 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 the same way every time. Like it's just, <laughs> there's no, like, there's no, there's no subjectiveness. Like four plus four will always be eight. Well, I, I welcome the feedback from any CPAs who are listening yeah, who are like, yeah. no, man, you don't know. <laughs> we out here, you know. Um, anyway, before I send you back into your day, because I know you're so busy, I really appreciate your time. Um, no, nah, no, nah, this was great. I'd like to fuck them off for the rest of the day. But I wanted to ask you, <laughs> I wanted to ask you to shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing that made you feel that you could be who you are today. Would you shout out a queero? I, I would. I don't know if this is a... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for it because this is what it was for, for me. Um, 
I found Drew Barrymore to be one of the most positive influences on on my level of comfort within my own sexuality. Amazing. Um, I have been, I I can remember we're about the same age. Uh, she has the same birthday as my dad, February 22nd. I can remember watching E.T. as, you know, like a five-year-old and thinking in my head, me and Gertie are going to be friends. I had this, like, I was drawn, I was oh just always thought the world over. I mean, I watched everything from like... Poison Ivy. I mean, anything she was in, I was watching it. Um, But I was a teenager um, when she had, I was probably 15 or 16. And I had my first girlfriend in high school at 14. um, And we dated for two years undercover. Beautiful. I was so lucky to fall in love with my best friend, have all my firsts with my best friend. Super protected because we weren't out, so nobody could really mess with us. Um, But Drew Barrymore on David Letterman, that uh, I think it was his birthday, um, where she fl- stands on his desk and does this little dance and flashes him. And, and in that interview, she talks about being bisexual. And uh, when she was on the Playboy cover, she like talked about it. And it was, she was so comfortable in whatever That's she right. was doing. And, um, and, and she was like openly and outwardly like hooking up with women. And it might not have been in a, in a fully queer thing, but she made me feel like I could be okay, whatever I was feeling on that kind of sexuality um, cause it's not linear. I think we all know that. Um, but on, on that platform. And I just, if, if it wasn't for her, I probably, I probably wouldn't have had the almost politics about my sexuality that I did. Wow. I can remember like adamantly not coming out. I have three older brothers and my mentality was, well, my brothers didn't have to come out. Why do I have to come out? I just started bringing girlfriends home. That's what my brothers did. So I, why is wow. it okay for me? So, um, and while she doesn't identify as queer and it isn't, unless, Unless she does now, in which case I'm um, very single and open for it, Drew. Um, but yeah, I think she just uh, what she was <laughs> what she was doing for young ladies then. I don't even think was necessarily her intention. She was just living life to its fullest at the time and with with reckless abandon. And uh, but yeah, I would I would say Drew Barrymore. If I had to pick somebody actually queer is uh, actually a buddy of mine and somebody that you had on. Uh, her name's Amber Hikes. I know Amber back oh, from our Amber is days. The freaking the best. Coolest. I know. Amber is the I know. coolest. I know. Uh, I met Amber in our twenties, and yeah, but yeah, we have we have some good uh, good history, and oh yeah, uh, I think about this some uh, sometimes. If I, you know, if you ever got three wishes, and I mean this wholehearted, hand on heart, two wishes would be selfish. One would be for the collective, and I would wish that at some point I could vote for Amber Hikes for political office because I I I just. She oh my god! One of the most I think you're going to get that chance. Articulate, um, amazing young ladies, and, and so much in the light of her mother too. Uh, but yeah, uh, so I would say Drew Barrymore for as I was growing up and embracing my sexuality. But uh, Amber Hikes is uh, absolutely best in class across the board, professionally, wow. personally, friendship, amazing young lady. Great abs, also. Yes, <laughs> that's just for her Instagram. style too. She's so yeah. ridiculous. Great, great just, abs. Anyway, um, all right, so. This is great. I'm so glad you brought up Drew. I do think she's part of our apology tour that we have to do as a culture for the way that we treated certain people in the 90s. Yeah. Because I, you know, I just remember, I think everybody, it, it was a real like slut shaming. Yeah, it was. Vibe for on but her. But she almost like, didn't. She's cool. Yeah. It was the way, it was the gracefulness. And I thought, yeah. I can be a slut too. If she can do it, I can do yeah, it. Yeah, she's cool. Watch me go. 100%. Yeah. Thank you for this reminder. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. And you're um, welcome. It was my this is awesome. super fun. Thank you for having yeah. me. Yeah. So yeah. good.